Welcome to the Insurgents Podcast with Frank Viola. And he's brought a friend. This is the podcast that supplements Frank's groundbreaking book, Insurgents, Reclaiming the Gospel of the Kingdom, which is shaking up the Christian world. You can find out details about the book at insurgents.org. Sit back, open all four ears, physical and spiritual, and join the insurgents. Here's Frank. Frank, welcome to the Impact Nations podcast. Great to be on, Tim. It's uh, really good to have you. We we reached out to you because this book really grabbed me, uh, Insurgents, talking about the gospel of the kingdom and how we need to really allow the gospel of the kingdom to completely transform, radically transform our own lives before we can really even begin to take that to the world around us. So I'm excited to kind of dig into this a little bit with you. One of the things I like about the book is just the way you, at the end of each chapter, you've got this real practical application um, stuff. Can you just talk a little bit about the formatting of the book and why you why you did that? Yeah, that's a great question, and and this is one of the reasons why some of the publishers that we pitched the book to when it was written uh, rejected it. One of the reasons was there was just too much controversy, too many statements that were too radical for their comfort level. One of them told me, you can't say this in a book. You can't put this in a book. <laughs> and I won't say what it is, but if people read it, they'll, they'll get an idea of the radical nature of the message, which, by the way, is not legalistic and it's not religious at all. That's the other gospel we hear, the gospel of you got to do better, you got to try harder, mm-hmm. and it's all fueling guilt and condemnation. This book is not that at all. But um, the structure, yeah, the structure was very difficult for some of the publishers to get their minds around, because your typical Christian book is written in a way where all the chapters are long, and you might have like a discussion guide at the end. But what we did with this is very unique in that it has six parts, Tim, as you know. Yeah. Part one, three different Gospels. Part two, unveiling the King's beauty. Part three, the gospel of the kingdom. Part four, entering and enjoying the kingdom. Part five, our glorious liberty. Part six, advancing the kingdom. And what I do in each of those parts is I write chapters, but all the chapters are very short. They're one to three pages long. Now, I did that for two reasons. Number one, I myself hate long chapters. (laughs) When I'm reading a book, I feel like it's taken me forever to finish the darn chapter, okay? I'm a slow reader. You know, I'm not a fast reader. I'm a thoughtful reader. And I read some of these Christian books that have long chapters, man. I'm just burned out, Hmm. you know? It takes me forever to finish a book. Secondly, the content is so potent, but I want readers to really digest what they're reading, to really mull over it and think about it. And then the other part of the book, uh, along with the, the short chapters, is there's a taking action section, which you alluded to. And after every part of the book, we say, okay, how are you going to make this practical? You just read some very powerful thoughts and quotes and so forth, commentary on the gospel of the kingdom. How are you going to walk this out in shoe leather? And so what I do is I give readers very practical handles, exercises to actually bring the content to life in their own life. And I feel like this is missing in lots of books. You know, the typical Christian will read the typical Christian book, finish it and say, all right, check that box, here it goes on my shelf, and they go on to the next one. Well, this one stops you in your tracks and says, wait a minute, let's stop here. After all you've read and what Jesus has challenged you with and what he's given to you, 
here are ways you can make it practical, all right? And I'll add another thing, too. Most of my readers will read all six parts, and that's great because they all build on each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm building, uh, I'm building a story here. I'm going somewhere. They all build on each other. Well, I've had a few readers, and every author has this happen, but with this particular book in particular, I've seen it more often. They'll read chapter one and chapter two, maybe, and then they'll stop. And it's like, okay, I like chapter one, but chapter two really didn't speak to me. And they stop. They don't go on to three, four, five, and six. Well, here's the thing. The readers who have gone on to four and five, for example, and some six, they say those are the most life-altering chapters they've read. But if they stopped, you know, at one or two or even three, they would miss out on that. So I really encourage readers, take your time with this book. Don't treat it like any other book where you read it, you got the T-shirt, let's go on to the next thing. But really immerse yourself in the message of the kingdom, do the exercises, and this then, it doesn't become a book, it becomes an experience and an encounter with Jesus Christ that we so desperately need. And again, I'm writing from my own experience. This is what happened to me, and that's why I put the book out, so others can have the same encounter with the Lord. Yeah. In a second, I want to jump into a couple of specific things that you address in the book, but I'm curious, as, as you're just talking about those who have been transformed by by this work, what are some of the like practical ways that people report back to you just in terms of changes they've made in their life or uh, severely altering their thinking? Can you list just a couple of practical things that people have really uh, yes, seen yes. transformed? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, a lot of my mail kind of falls into different categories, but one of them, it sounds like this. I just got born again all over again. You know, I feel like I just met Jesus Christ. You know, I met him a long time ago, but I feel like I've met him, and I know him better now than I ever have. You know, that's one. Another one is I have finally been freed from addictions that have plagued me for years. I was hopeless. I thought I'd never, ever have victory over this, whatever it is, right? And they often state what it is, and they come in different <laughs> varieties. But the Lord Sometimes has finally TMI, set right? free. <laughs> yeah, and um, the, the practical exercises you gave and the vision you gave of the kingdom broke the back of this thing. There's that. There's also, I used to be very political, Right? I used to either be a nationalist or a globalist. Mm. I used to be really into capitalism or really into socialism or communism, you know, both the left and the right. And the shift in adjustment in thinking has been profound because so many of them now say, I totally see the world differently, and I look at the political system totally differently than it did before. And a lot of them have been set free because so many Christians, they've invested their emotions in the political system, in a particular party, in a particular candidate, in a particular platform, and it's drained all their energy and all their passion to the point, Tim, where they'll just become very angry and even, you know, cut off fellowship with other Christians over disagreements. Well, so many of them have said this has totally altered the way they've looked at politics and the political system. And so they're not on the right or the left, man. They're in the land of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, when he came on the planet, man, he was not part of the political system. And Jesus stood outside of both, and he says, I'm bringing a new civilization. I have a new political system, and it's not part of either. And so we explain that in the book, and it's helped so many Christians who have been so wedded to the political system of our age 
uh, to set so many free. And lots of pastors, man, lots of pastors. Some pastors have ordered the book by the cases to give out to their congregations, and some of them are teaching through it, you know, not only in the United States, but Canada and other parts of the world. And for me, brother, I am, you know, I'm just a messenger. By no means is this book perfect. I wrote it to the best of my ability, but it's so humbling and it's so honoring to see how the Lord has used the book in people's lives. And lots and lots of young people, too, you know, 20s and 30s. I remember one I got from a mother said, you know, my 18-year-old son has read this book and it's totally altered his life. Another young woman in her 20s said, I wish I had this book in high school. <laughs> my high school experience would have been different. So anyway, it's truly really humbling and honoring to hear these kind of testimonials. That's awesome. I, I love what you're saying, just in terms of Jesus doesn't belong to any political party. My pastor recently has been talking about that very thing, saying, look, if you find yourself at home uh, in either political party, uh, or any political party for that matter, for those who are outside of the United States, uh, you're in dangerous territory, because that's you, we shouldn't be at home in any worldly system. With nationalism on the rise in America, are you getting a lot of pushback in that regard just uh you know you talk about pastors writing to say they're they've been transformed by, by your writing but are others uh displeased with you shall we say well here's the thing this book takes dead aim at nationalism in some places but it also takes dead aim at mm -hmm. the opposing side yep. which is globalism <laughs> Now, I have had a few people who did give pushback on that, you know, because they're their country, right or wrong, you know. <laughs> God wants us to love our country, doesn't matter what it does, and we have to give our allegiance to the flag of our own nation and mm. all this kind of stuff. But most of those people, Tim, have never really gotten through the book. They've just read certain parts of it, and then if they don't like something, these are the easily offended people. And they read one thing they don't like, and all of a sudden they put it down, and they don't read the rest of the argument. So, But I do talk about nationalism and globalism in light of the kingdom of God and by contrast to the gospel of the kingdom. Yeah, one, one of the quotes that I, I just had to write down was when you're talking about allegiance, you said, you know, the, the ecclesia that, uh, is the only nation to which you should give your full allegiance, uh, which, of course, is so succinct. And yet that's a that's a pretty heavy laden uh, thing to say. When I talk about nationalism and globalism, I'm talking about an allegiance to something. Yeah. Right. And, you know, if you have an allegiance to something, if when it's challenged, you get angry. Wow. Right? That's one of the litmus tests that you have idolized something. And national supremacy is an idol for many Christians. They don't even realize it. At the same token, globalism, the standard of worldwide governmental organization working together to solve the problems of the world, that too is an idol for many Christians without realizing it. And both of these smack in the face of the kingdom of God, which is a transterritorial translocal reality that have citizens in it who live in every country on the planet and they are not melded together by any governmental organization or hierarchy yeah. the kingdom of god is something totally different and your quote about the ecclesia is true although when i use the word ecclesia and i talk about this in the book i'm not talking about church on sunday morning you know you you sit in the pew and you listen to the sermon and you say yeah that's the ecclesia <laughs> no that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about something much grander much more glorious much more powerful and earth-shaking and something that god is recovering in our time one of the statements that i have made is that those who give their allegiance to jesus christ truly not just in pious rhetoric and to his kingdom, they give their heart 
and mind to his kingdom, they renounce both nationalism and globalism in their lifestyle. You know, they're not on either side. There's something other, just like Jesus was. It's the same dynamic that we see in our Lord. Yeah. So let's get practical for just a second here, Frank. Like, we're in a very polarized time. When we feel that anger stirring up inside of us for one reason or another, or um, we're confronted with either globalism or nationalism, like, what is, can you give us some some practical steps on how to, as followers of Christ, as, as followers of the way, how can we engage with our culture in a way that's inviting them into the kingdom rather than us falling into the trap of of, you know, operating the way the world operates? Well, the first answer to that question, as I see it, is whenever you become furious or angry with a person who differs from you politically, especially if they're a professing Christian, that right there is pinpointing something in your heart that you're not in touch with, and that is that your political views are an idol, number one. Because anytime we would break fellowship over a political issue, or a social issue with another believer, and, and it includes anger, right? And we're talking about being mad, okay? Yeah. Then that reveals that you've idolized that thing. It also reveals that you're placing your hope in that thing, or that person, hmm. or that platform, or that party. Your hope is tied to that. Because if your hope wasn't tied to it, and that has not become an idol in your life, you would not have an emotional reaction, yeah. right? So that's number one. The second thing is, that should provoke you to ask the question, what on earth is the kingdom of God, and why is it outside the realm of nationalism and globalism? I made this statement. Those who have embraced the gospel of the kingdom and are part of the insurgents, that's the name of the book, mm -hmm. recognize that their citizenship is in the kingdom of God, an alternative civilization, not church on Sunday morning, not a denomination, but an alternative civilization called the kingdom of God. That's where their loyalty, allegiance, and love lies. And it's not part of any nation-state, and it's not part of any conglomeration of governments around the world. It's something other than both. Well, that should provoke the person to say, okay, what is this gospel of the kingdom? Because I haven't heard it. <laughs> if I heard it, I wouldn't fall into all of this political nonsense, and I wouldn't be giving away my soul to some platform or party or cause that has to do with making changes on this earth through sitting at Caesar's table mm. and pulling political levers. What is this gospel of the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God in the first place? You know, I was taught it's either this, going to heaven, or making the world a better place. I mean, what on earth is it? Yeah. And so that's exactly why I wrote the book. One of the things you talk about early in the book is you talk about the dangers of legalism and the dangers of libertinism, and then you offer up a third way. Uh, can you share with our listeners a few indications that they might be falling victim to either legalism or libertinism? The gospel of legalism, which is rampant in evangelical circles, is the gospel that says, God's holy, you're not, try harder. Hmm. And usually in Christian circles, it's sort of a bait-and-switch gospel. It's come as you are, all your sins are forgiven, you're under grace, God loves you the way you are, but once you get saved, then it switches to, all right, got to try harder. 
Yeah. <laughs> you got to do more. <laughs> God's not happy with you. You know, you didn't read your Bible enough. You didn't pray enough. And so Christians all, all over just walk around with this hangover of guilt. Yeah. And it's fed by many, many modern preachers. If you're a Christian listening to this and you feel like God is not happy with you because you're not doing enough, if you feel like you're a pretty lousy Christian, you have condemnation associated with that feeling. If you feel like it takes a whole lot to please God and you're just not there, then you are probably the victim of the gospel of legalism. Now, the other side of that is the gospel of libertinism, which basically says we're under grace, we're free in Christ, so it doesn't really matter what we do. And in the mainstream Christian world, it kind of sounds like this. The main thing that God is interested in is social justice, helping the poor and the oppressed. But what you do behind closed doors, he's not really, you know, he understands you're human. And it's okay if you you Mm. (laughs) do things that are immoral according to Scripture. And, of course, the Bible was written a long time ago. We live in a different society. And basically it's a license to sin under grace is what that is. And you know that you're (laughs) – you have been – the subject of the gospel of libertinism, meaning you've imbibed it, if you're living immoral and carnal and you're having a tug of war, one part of you says, this is okay, it's normal, it's God's okay with it, God understands me, I'm a fallen creature, but the other part of you is saying, you know what, something's not right with this. I don't feel at peace. I really don't know the Lord very well. I don't have beautiful fellowship and unhindered communion with Him. That shows that you have embraced the gospel of libertinism. What I found, Tim, typically, this is not always the case, but Mm -hmm. people who have been hammered with the gospel of legalism and just burned out because of it, they gravitate very easily to the gospel of libertinism. You know what I mean? It's the other side of the pendulum. Yeah, it swings hard. And what I do in this book is I treat both, sketch it out very clearly, Mm -hmm. the gospel of libertinism, the gospel of legalism, and all of its forms, and then I break through unveiling the gospel of the kingdom, which blows the soot out of both alternative gospels that we so often hear, and it gives a brand new message. And the result is, on the one hand, it's freedom from the flesh, freedom from the works of the flesh, freedom from the bondage of the flesh and the world system. But on the other hand, it's freedom in the spirit. Mm. There's no legalism or religiosity to it. It's really an incredible thing. And that's what the early Christians had when they were walking with the Lord. Christians very often are not clear on the difference between God's law and man's law, right? Mm. So most of the things we're told to do, I call it the Christian expectation. It's a long list of don't do this, do that. And you cannot find a statement in that Christian expectation list that's in the New Testament. What they are is they're like um, added statutes, kind of like the Pharisees added all these <laughs> man-made laws yep. to you know the law of God. Well, that's very much in the drinking water of the evangelical Christian church. I have friends that you know, out of conviction, they won't touch tobacco of any kind. Mm-hmm. And they feel like it's a sin, you know? Then you got people who live in the shadow of Charles Spurgeon, who, <laughs> you know, they, they won't smoke cigarettes, but they'll smoke cigars on occasion, and they have freedom in their conscience to do that. It doesn't affect their communion with the Lord. Well, 
that's an example of a man-made rule. There's nothing in the New Testament that says don't smoke cigars, right? Yeah. That's just one example, but I can give you many, multiply many, and, and I do talk about some of that in the book. So that's the first one. Get clear on what are the standards of the New Testament mm. that come from Jesus and Paul, and what are the standards that you have added based on your own conscience. And every man's conscience, every woman's conscience is different, you know. I have friends that they don't go to the movies. They feel like the movies is worldly. Others can go to the movies, depending on what they see, and it's, you know, they have a conscience to do that. There's no hindrance to their fellowship with the Lord. So, you know, just be careful that you don't put on another Christian what you feel is wrong, but it's not stated in Scripture as being wrong, right? That's yeah. one. The second thing I would challenge people, if they're trying to disciple other Christians, right, or, you know, new converts or young Christians, the key to discipleship, what discipleship really is at the end of the day, it's two things. It's one, learning to embrace and live out the gospel of the kingdom, and the second part of that is learning how to live by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul said, it is not I, but Christ who lives in me. Mm. Romans 8 talks about the indwelling Christ, the indwelling Spirit, and that's who we live by. The great mystery of God is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, here's the sad thing. Most Christians, if you ask them, how do you live by the indwelling life of Christ? How do you get out of the way and let Jesus Christ live his life through you? Just as Jesus said, as I live by the Father and the Father lives in me, so he or she who feeds on me lives by me. So what the Father was to Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is to us. He's our indwelling Lord. But yet, if you ask most Christians, how do you live by the indwelling life of Christ, they'll look at you like you're from planet 10. They don't know how to answer that question because they don't know how to do it themselves. So I would say you cannot give to other people what you have not experienced yourself. And therefore, if discipleship is all about living out the gospel of the kingdom and learning to live by the indwelling life of Christ, then your homework, however long it takes, <laughs> is to learn what the gospel of the kingdom is and start living it out in your own life and learn what the indwelling life of Jesus Christ is. He indwells you. How do you live by him? And, brother, there are resources that show you how very practically, but so often we don't hear this stuff. Instead, we hear, well, you've got to read the Bible and study the Bible. You've got to learn what the Bible is, and then you've got to do what the Bible says. Well, that's not living out the gospel of the kingdom by doing that external exercise, nor is it learning how to live by the indwelling life of Christ. The Scriptures show us what these things are, but the real question is how. That's what I focus on. When I hear somebody preach, I don't want to hear what they have to say unless they say, this is how you do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the practical hows, and you, you've been asking those kind of questions, which is excellent, but that's sort of the missing piece. I mean, most of ministry today in the Christian world is goes from one frontal lobe to the other frontal lobe. It goes from my notebook to your notebook. Hmm. <laughs> and Christians have a big stack of big notebooks full of notes, and yet the question of how do I make this a reality in my life is often missed. So yeah, learn what the gospel of the kingdom is and how to, how to live it out and learn what the indwelling life of Jesus Christ is and how to live it out. A disciple is somebody who knows and is learning how to live by the indwelling life of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. And someone who has received the gospel of the kingdom is learning how to walk it out in their own life. Amen. That's fantastic. Um, man, this has been really good, Frank. I sure appreciate it. I, I wonder... You were mentioning, I think, that people can get a free sample of the book if they're, you know, <laughs> if they're not sure if a three-page chapter is for them. 
yeah. Boy, we have lots of resources that are free of charge. They can go to insurgents.org. If you start clicking through the different parts of the site, we have audio samples, we have print samples, we have the Insurgents podcast, we have the Insurgents YouTube channel, which is called The Deeper Journey, YouTube channel, lots of messages on the kingdom, and all that's free. Blog posts, blog series on the gospel of the kingdom. And so this will introduce people to the very things that we're talking about, and they can delve deeper. Yeah. I would encourage people to go check that out. You're a prolific blogger. I've been reading some of your stuff recently. You wrote a great piece recently about why Christians believe conspiracy theories. Uh, that was really helpful uh, and gave me a laugh too. But I'd recommend people turn there if they're uh, if their friends are starting to say some kooky things. That's a great place to start as well. So recently, I wrote one called "Don't Give Unsolicited Advice." <laughs> I read that. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I try to pepper a lot of it with humor. So Indeed. if you're if you're not a prune-sucking Christian, you will enjoy the blog. <laughs> Very good. Well, Frank, thanks so much uh, for joining us today. Thanks for just giving us that real practical stuff. I know, listeners, uh, we hear from you all the time. We know that your desire is to is to chase after the kingdom of God, to follow in the ways of Jesus, not in the ways of this world. And so uh, Insurgents is a great place to start for that. Uh, so I would encourage you to go check that out and, uh, and all of Frank's writings, for sure. So thanks so much, Frank, for being with us today. Thank you. And by the way, are you from Canada? I am from Canada. How did you know that? I can tell by the accent. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> the correct way to say it is about. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because we've we've lived in the States for about three and a half years. Uh, my kids are age 12, 10, and 8, and I have to coach them all the time because they're already starting to get American accents, and it, it upsets me, you know? And so when they apologize, <laughs> I say, no, it's not sorry, you're sorry, okay? Until you say yeah, you're you sorry, <laughs> I don't believe you. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Insurgents Podcast and give it a five-star review on iTunes. This will help others find it. Also, you can join Frank's unfiltered email list at frankviola.org and receive encouragement, challenges, and insights connected to the gospel of the kingdom. Remember, the insurgence has begun. Don't miss it.